CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are back talking CFL football yet again this week. Another week down, another week here to come. Uh, this is our Week 5 CFL recap, and of course our Week 6 CFL preview show is to come yet this week as well uh joined on that one by will gertler of the uh argos fan cast and uh you know him as at argos fan at argo fans on twitter as well so uh look forward to hearing him on our week six preview coming out this week as well uh and uh, a lot more content to come but we're here talking week five michael garrell ryan coop uh a week in which there were only three cfl games mr michael garrell uh, a little bit less to talk about this week, but uh, how how was your week? It's good. Uh, very interesting, because uh, I think we finally got some good football games uh, compared to uh, what we had in, in the weeks previous. But, you know, each football game was good in their own way and not necessarily in the way that one may have expected. I don't know if I'd call them good so to say but well, competitive football games maybe yeah maybe not the first one though <laughs> this, this, this is true but i mean when you when you have the winning team in two close football games only get to 20 no I, not even edmonton won 16 15 edmonton won 16 15 and then so the one team that won got to 20 2017 bc so you know 20 being your highest uh point total for a team that won a close game this week interesting and all of a sudden now we maybe think that Calgary may not be in trouble without their number one quarterback and I think that is the place to start yeah and we'll start there uh get started there talking about week five of course the Canadian football countdown is a proud member of the Canadian football podcast network Make sure you check out all of the other great Canadian Football Podcast Network shows at at CFPodNetwork on Twitter and on the newly launched website at CFPodNetwork.ca. So check those all out as well as soon as you're finished listening to this. Uh, Calgary 27, Ottawa 3 kicks off uh, week 5 in the CFL, Mike. Uh, you expected Ottawa to bounce back and win this game uh, from reading your recap or your power rankings this past week sorry it seemed like you were expecting a bounce back game for ottawa uh i'm not surprised calgary continued their role what do you make uh initial reactions when you uh when you were watching this game initial reaction was um boy it didn't start good if you're ottawa that's an understatement and then OMG, when Bo Levi Mitchell has to leave the game just before the half. Um, but, interestingly enough, I still thought the game was over the way Calgary's defense was playing. Yeah. But how you have an offense in Ottawa that has so much firepower 
but yet can do so little just goes to show how good Calgary's defense is. Yeah, some offensive stats here for the Red Blacks. Are you ready for this one, Mike? Sure. Uh, just scrolling down here to check them out. Total yards of offense, 150. Uh, 115 passing yards. Trevor Harris goes 14 of 22 for only 93 yards, two interceptions. Um, it was a lot worse when he got pulled after the first half, but he came back in for a brief moment. Well, it's interesting because you said 14 completions. Yeah. And 92 yards. 93 yards, a 4.2 average. See, that's not Trevor Harris. No. Uh, Dom Davis comes in for a little bit. He goes 0 for 2. Uh, Danny Collins comes in, goes 3 of 7 for 41 yards and an interception. And here's the biggest thing. Nobody can stop William Powell is what we were talking about all of, you know, week after week. Mm Mm-hmm. Calgary couldn't even stop him two weeks ago. Uh, So we thought if Calgary can't stop him, no one can. So much that I was confident enough to spend the highest amount you can on a running back in CFL Fantasy. Put William Powell in my lineup this week. Eight carries, 17 yards. 2.1 yard average for William Powell this week. I mean, this was a dominant performance by the Calgary defense if I've ever seen. Well, and they needed it because, I mean, they were about to pull about Arbuckle or whatever his name is. Yeah, uh, Nick Arbuckle. He didn't really – I thought he managed the game, but you have to remember the time in which he came in the game, the game was fairly in hand. So I don't know. For for me, I, I never really saw him in a situation where he had to do something to rescue the game. You know what I mean? Right. The game was pretty well over for all intents and purposes when he came in. Yeah, so Bo Levi Mitchell goes down, I believe, late in the second quarter it was, yeah. right? Um, and at that point, you know, I think we both agreed that even it, you know, even if he theoretically could return to the game, why would you return Bo Levi Mitchell to the game at this point? Because, you know, this game was out of reach at halftime. I know it was 20 nothing, and we saw the Winnipeg blow a 17 nothing halftime lead uh, later on in the weekend. Let's be frank. There's a big difference between the Stampedo defense and the defense that currently resides at the University of Manitoba. Mike, the, the difference in the size of the defense is larger in, than the room we're in right now because th- it's not even close. And, and I'd say this is a decent-sized room. I, I'm not good on, you know, my measurements. I don't have a ruler in front of me. Uh but this Calgary defense is the best one I can remember seeing in my time as a CFL fan. You know, I at least in the last 10 to 15 years, I struggle to remember a defense that's better than this one. They are averaging right now 9.5 points against a game. That's less, you know, that's less than a two, well, that's a two score game, but it's less than a touchdown and a field goal. In 60 minutes. Right. And given how offensive the CFL is. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like, we thought they were outstanding last year. I can't even fathom what I'm seeing from Calgary's defense right now because they lost a lot of pieces this offseason. Well, I'll tell you right now. They want the Ray Cup played this week. Oh, Calgary, yeah, you know book their ticket to the Grey Cup if you can't figure book out how to beat this to the team. West Final for sure. Oh, yeah, hands down. You know, everyone in the CFL is, you know, basically at 2-2-ish two and two-ish or worse as of right now. Uh, 
I'll double check on the standings on that. Yeah, yeah no, uh, Edmonton's three and two, but either either than that, everyone's five hundred or below, and then Calgary's four and zero. And you know, I said this while watching the game Thursday night. Do I think Calgary is going to go eighteen and zero this season? No, it's the CFL. They'll inevitably lose some stupid game they shouldn't have. Um, probably in the final weeks when they're resting everyone for the playoffs. Here. The way the CFL is, for all intents and purposes, Calgary could lose this week at Montreal. That likely? No. Well, especially at home. If it was but, in Montreal, I'd take it. Here's a weird stat for you. Bowie by Mitchell, you told me this week, you know, I, I think yeah. something like he's the fastest quarterback to ever get yeah. to 60 wins in the CFL. Yeah, he just ridiculous. Guess the one place he, Bowie by Mitchell has never won a game. Montreal. In Montreal. Like, that. that that's one of those weird stats. They, they're in Calgary this week, It's right? in Calgary this coming week. Uh, but, or this week, yeah. But still, like, the fact that Bowie Vi Mitchell, as successful as he's been, as successful as this Calgary team is in the regular season every year, the fact that they've never, that he hasn't won a game in Montreal is surprising to me. Now, granted, a couple of the ones they've lost there, I think, have been late in the season where Bowie Vi Mitchell, you know, was on the bench, and, and I, I think, you know, that's probably at what point we'll see definitely Calgary uh, have a shot at losing a game is late in the season when everyone's resting for the playoffs. But looking at, you know, the foreseeable future in the schedule, realistically, when do you see Calgary losing a game? I don't think it's this week against Montreal at home. There's no way. There's no way. Well... Wouldn't that be something if it was? Yes, because then I can be ashamed of saying that on next week's episode of the podcast. Do I think it didn't happen? No. Is it a possibility? Always. Uh, looking at their next couple games, uh, in or Montreal comes to town, then they go to Saskatchewan, uh, then they host the Lions, um, then they have a bye week in week nine, uh, then they visit Saskatchewan. And in week 11, uh, the Bombers come to town uh, on August 25th. I mean, that schedule, I don't feel confident in either of those teams, any of those teams really in that span beating Calgary as of right now. The the defense has come to play. The one question mark, I think you, you hit it on the head, what is, is what's up with the uh, the injury to Bowie by Mitchell. How serious is that? Because... Calgary's often. I, I heard something concerning. What I heard with Bowie by Mitchell's injury, and I don't know if you heard this too, and correct me if you did or didn't. Day to day, trending week to week. Yeah, I, I think I might have heard that as well. I mean, they they don't have great options at the backup quarterback position. The offense basically died once Nick Arbuckle. Well, came if there's in, ever right? a game to Mitchell out, it's this week. Oh yeah, no right. disrespect to Montreal. No, but I agree with you. Um, that that's why I'm not surprised. But Levi Mitchell didn't come back in the second half because at that point Calgary's got 20 points on the board when you're only av- averaging nine and a half against the game. I mean, basically you've already scored enough points to win the football game. Uh, but if you know for weeks upon weeks, we haven't really seen this Calgary team without Bo Levi Mitchell. Uh, since he's taken over the starting role, right? Because as many quarterback injuries as there have been around the CFL, uh, he may have missed a game here and there, but we have not seen, I think, 
I don't think I don't even know if we've seen a two game stretch since he's been the starting quarterback in Calgary of Bo Levi Mitchell not being at quarterback. Even last year, he hurt his shoulder. He still played basically the entire season. I mean, this is new uncharted territory if this is the case. Uh, Can I suggest something for the San Peters? Sure. Put Bo Levi Mitchell on the city team. Why? They're four and zero, likely to run away with the West. Would you rather have him late in the season, 100% healthy, than have him miss this week, maybe, and not have him in at absolutely 100%? I don't think you put him on the sixth game until you know he's actually going to be out for roughly that time frame. Uh, I I don't see that being a situation. But I get well, they I, won't I, they won't put him on the sixth game because he's practicing and he can't practice if you're on the sixth game. Yeah. I, I get what you're talking about, though, there, Mike. But it's like, I don't see a point in, honestly, in playing bully by Mitch White. Calgary's an elite team, as constructed. But I don't think it really matters who the quarterback is. And I believe that when Calgary does have Mitchell in there, it's just the cherry on top of the pie. Now, uh, they were also without some other key players offensively in this game. Terry Williams, uh, starting kick returner, and, you know, one of their duo running backs. Uh, he was out this game. Can Eric, I nominate Don Jackson for Rookie of the Year? You can You can certainly do that. And it's not even close at this point? Yeah, I'm trying to think of who else is a rookie uh, and is performing very well so far this year. Don Jackson is impressed. I don't know if he's a rookie. I don't know if he has prior playing experience. This season's the first I've heard of Don Jackson, but uh, I'd have to check on that. But uh, 15 carries, 102 yards this week. Very solid performance. If only he could catch some of those long passes he's getting, Mitch. Yeah. I mean, there, there's there been a couple of, you know, they send him streaking down the sidelines, but he, he can't haul it in, you know, just beyond his fingertips. Uh, Eric Rogers out this week as well with uh, with a bit of a knee injury there. So, uh, And Mark and Michelle out of the lineup this week as well. So a couple of Calgary receivers, you know, stepped up this week. Reggie Bagleton, Jawan Breskison. Both had themselves some fine days, and uh, Kamar Jordan in that first half was looking particularly dominant. So, so some guys stepping up for Calgary on offense. Let's talk about Ottawa a little bit here, Mike. What what happened to the Red Blacks this week? Well, because they're coming off a game against Montreal the week before where their offense was rolling. Trevor Harris threw for like 350 yards and three touchdowns, and William Powell had himself a heyday. And offensively, everything seemed to go wrong for Ottawa in this game. They couldn't buy any sort of success if they won the lottery and, you know, paid all that. Let's put it to you this way. Ottawa had to do one of two things to realistically have a chance. Land the first blow, figuratively speaking, and go punch for punch. They did neither. Any team, pretty much when they fall behind by multiple touchdowns in a field goal, especially against Calgary this year, it's game over. We have seen this movie multiple times, but if you don't play the full 60 minutes consistently against Calgary, you're going to lose this game. It, it's as simple as that. You you, you have to come out of the game, or into the game, I guess, with the mission of keeping Bo Levi Mitchell, for the sake of this conversation, because he is the starter, 
You have to come up with a concrete plan and find a way to keep him on the sideline. You have to keep him on the sideline. You have to try to find a way to score and hit the defense. You got to find a way to get him off his game. Maybe Ottawa was trying to do that with a hand. I'm not saying it was intentional. Absolutely not. But pressure Bo Levi Mitchell in a way that makes him uncomfortable, as hard as that is. Yeah, and you mentioned off the top that it's crazy that an offense with so much firepower as the Red Blacks. I mean, Greg Ellingson, Deontay Spencer, Brad Sinopoli, William Powell, Trevor Harris is a heck of a quarterback himself when he's on his game. It's it's appalling, really, how bad this was for the Red Blacks. I remember watching that game in the first half and thinking, "What what is going on? Like, you know, they they couldn't even buy a first down. I don't think they had a first down till two minutes left in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Nick Arbuckle came in for two pl- two plays after Nick Arbuckle came in for Calgary after Bolivar Mitchell got injured. They already had more passing errors than Trevor Harris did on the game. Uh, you know, Ottawa just the time of possession is just staggering in Calgary's <sighs> favor early. Thirty-seven thirty to twenty-two thirty, so an extra full quarter they had the ball. At one point, it was almost, I think, after the first quarter, it was already ten minutes or something like that. Ten to five, something. Like that. Yeah. So I mean, it, it goes back to what I said. You have to when you play Calgary, start with the ball. Start with the ball. That's the key word. And run off consistent five and a half, six minutes, six and a half minute drives. If you don't do that, and you give the door for Calgary to strike, game over. It does not matter who's the quarterback. Here's what I think about Ottawa. I I, I think as much as this offensive struggles, some might want to say, you know, maybe they're a little inconsistent on offense. I fully chalk up this performance to the outstanding nature of Calgary's defense. Because Absolutely. you look at the four games Ottawa's played so far this year, uh, Saskatchewan, uh, they run over Saskatchewan and Montreal offensively. And Saskatchewan has a great defense in their own right, uh, most certainly. So, But they, they put up, I think, 40 points against their riders in their first game of the year. They put up 28 against Montreal, but a lot of yards in that game. And the two games they've been completely shut down are by the best defense in the CFL. So, you know, let, let's see a couple more games from Ottawa here before we, we you know, put a stamp on what this team is made of. Uh, they got the unfortunate case of having to play Calgary twice in their first four games. Uh, they play BC this week, and I'm interested to see how things are going to go for Ottawa there. Should be better. And we'll talk about that on our preview show this week. Uh, certainly as well. Moving on to our second game of the week, Mike, uh, the Friday night game, uh, Edmonton, Toronto, in Edmonton this time. Uh, no no loud horns, thankfully, uh, but they did get a heck of a lot of rain. The rain seems to follow Edmonton wherever they go, Do they, does it not? Oddly enough, yeah, it's rained three times now in five games. Something like that. Thankfully, no weather delay this time. Uh, but Edmonton takes this one 16 15 uh, on a Hugh O'Neill Rouge. We got a win on a Rouge, Mike. 66 uh, yard punt single in the fourth quarter. That uh, that might be my favorite way to win a CFL game because yeah. it's the CFL's brand. 
but your initial thoughts on Edmonton uh, pulling out the one-point win here? Well, I was very, very encouraged uh, by what I saw from James Franklin in a bat-to-bat situation. Toronto shot themselves in the foot, too. Quite frankly, late in that football game, there was a hit that I'm not happy with that resulted in a one-game suspension, which I think is a joke. Um, Tit the hit out of it. I mean, Mike Riley won the MOP last year, right? He showed why on that last drive. On that final play, that sealed the deal, too. Mike Riley needing the first down. Instead of handing it off to CJ, oh, I guess CJ Gable was out of the game because of that hit already. My bad, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot about that. But, you know, maybe he doesn't trust Jordan Robinson to carry it and need the first down there. So, Well, I, I think, to be honest with you, Mike Riley was mad. About that hit? No, not about the hit. Remember a couple of plays before that Robinson stepped out of bounds? When oh, yeah. When he's just up, up the quad running? If I'm a quarterback, that's unacceptable. You gotta know when the backup and the starter. Late in the game, you gotta keep the ball in bounds. I don't know. Mike Riley sounded pretty forgiving. I'll I'll say this: this was a live Mike game, Toronto and Edmonton. Mike Riley might be my favorite person in the CFL to have, like, of the quarterbacks to have mic'd up. I'd say my favorite person of all in the CFL to mic up. Put the dang mic on Odell Willis for us already, please. And Jason Must needs to say something. I don't think he said a word. Really? I, I, I missed most of this game live. I, I didn't hear much from him. Does it surprise you? <laughs> no. I fully expected that. Did he toss the headset at all this time? I, uh, no. No. Do you think next time he has to do the live mic, will he go find the guy at the Argo Stadium and borrow his horn and play it right into his microphone till TSN shuts it off? <laughs> no. <laughs> um... But Mike Riley, I mean, listening to him, the way he commands the huddle, the way he congratulates his guys, you know, even, you know, immediately after the play, uh, you know, oh, great catch, nice catch, great play. And and the way he commands things in that huddle, he he has that veteran leadership, and you can tell that even just from hearing him on the live microphone. Here's the interesting thing. Just getting back to that play with Robinson where he stepped out of bounds. I can tell you Robinson heard it from Mike Riley. Oh, you, we heard it from Mike Riley the whole time he was running. Stay in bounds! Stay in bounds! And he goes out. But, I can tell you, on the field, he wasn't in the choice teammate under the bus. Mike Riley? But, something was said in the locker room. Well, and... and 100%. And Riley, I, I don't know if he makes that big of a deal of that. But certainly on the final play, you know, they need that first down to seal the deal. Final plays, him just taking a knee, whatever. Uh, but play before that, I believe, uh, he takes the ball and runs for the first down and dives for a first down himself. Head first. Oh, of course. And Mike Riley's going to do that. And this is what we've seen from him throughout his career so far, is he will put himself on the line to win a football game for his team. Uh, I hope that doesn't come back to bite him in the butt uh, one day <sighs> uh, in terms of injury-wise. I sincerely really hope that. Uh, but mad respect for Mike Riley, and, and you know the dude's a warrior. I'm sick. Mike Riley could have been on the Bombers, but a certain general manager did not want to make the trade. You you could have talked about any. You can say that about any GM in the league, though, Mike. All they wanted was a pit, 
and it should have had Mike Riley. That was back then before anybody knew how good Mike Riley really would be. Still, I mean... Are you uh, not happy with the quarterback situation the Bombers have now? How many games did the dude miss in the last... In his time at the Eskimos? Well, he was out for quite a while, a couple of years ago, I believe. Broken foot. Yeah. But, I mean, the Bombers in, in the short have a good quarterback, too, and Matt Nichols. But and I, Chris Trevler. I just can't help but think if Riley was the bomber for would have won at Ray Trump already. Could have, should have, would have. Uh, hindsight's twenty. It's the part that angers me when you're in an eight or nine team lead and your team hasn't won at Ray Trump since 1990. And of course, I mean Riley is the heart and soul of the Edmonton. Basically, 24 months before my existence, the Blue Bombers won the last Ray Trump. So they haven't won in your lifetime either. No. Isn't it great? He smiles while <laughs> silently sobbing into his water bottle nearby. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, all the heartbreak when the Bombers do win a great cup will lead to one epic party. Absolutely. And Winnipeg likes its playoff parties, I'll say that. Getting back to Edmonton, Toronto here. Um, Duke Williams... Can anybody stop him? Oh, I, and I said, maybe I just, oh, I'm sorry, Duke Williams. Thankfully, he's on the bye this week, and I didn't jinx him because I think I said last week, William Powell, can anybody stop him? And look what happened to him this mm. week. So maybe that jinx gets the bye week to blow away. Ryan, what doesn't get what doesn't get justified is the unbelievable catches that Duke Williams did not make. What do you mean? He left. A hundred or so more yards on the field. And that's being generous. With just missing a multiple. Duke Williams? There's a reason they targeted him so much. 17 times or something like that in this game. That's absurd. Speaks to how good the guy is. He's top receiver in the CFL this season. 31 catches. 556 yards and three touchdowns in five games. He has four straight games over 100. He's averaging 111.2 yards per game. Uh, I mean, he's played five games. He's at 500 yards already. Could Duke Williams hit 2,000? No. No? No. I have to believe at some point somebody's going to find the game plan to stop him. If he if he can seventeen fifty for me would be a be a be a benchmark. Well, there's gonna be a discussion of Edmonton's MLP at this rate. I just did the calculation right now. If he continues his average yards per game for the entire season, plays all eighteen games, he will finish at two thousand and one point six yards. <sighs> Um, I I don't th- I think that will come down a little bit. You know, can a guy go over a hundred yards? Seventeen fifty. Yeah, can a guy go over a hundred yards for eighteen games in a row? Heck no. And if he does, round of applause for Duke Williams because that's pretty dang impressive, remarkable actually. Um, but nobody seems to stop him so far. It's clear he's Mike Riley's favorite target, and it's kind of funny because people were talking in the off season. You know, what's this Edmonton team going to look like with no Brandon Zilstra? who seems to be his favorite target. Darius Bowman, no longer with the Eskimos. Well, Duke Williams, Darrell Walker, Kenny Stafford, and even Bryant Mitchell, you know, if he can start getting into the offense a little more. I mean, those are some guys 
that are filling the holes very nicely for Edmonton. Here's the thing. Edmonton's finding a way to win, oddly. Oh, for sure. Good teams find a way to do it. And that's why they're one of only two teams above 300 or 500 with a 3-2 uh, and two uh, record. 3-2. and two. Yeah. One to argue they could be 4-1. and one. Last week? Yeah, uh, they could have won that first game against Toronto. Oh, certainly. But uh, I still think we haven't. Raptors are great, and I throw Calgary into this discussion too. I really think it doesn't really matter what happened until what happened after Labor Day. What do you mean? I think the hottest team going into the playoffs is going to be the most successful. It generally is. And, which is why I'm a little bit concerned for Calgary that they might be peaking too early. Because I, I, I believe that Edmonton is the second team right now that's favored to come out of the West. I still have some issues with Edmonton. I Okay, granted, their defense um, has, you know, held points off the board in the past two weeks against Toronto, but Toronto arguably so has one of the worst offenses you, in the CFL. Are you suggesting that Winnipeg did the second-best team in the West? Tato last week? Uh, Yeah, so I, uh, you know, if you put it that way, I would agree with you. Edmonton is the second-best team in the West Division. Does that mean I'm sold on them being a Grey Cup favorite at this point in the year? I need to see continued improvement from that defense. They did a great job. They held Toronto to 15 points this week and uh, 20 points, I think it was, the week before or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they brought that down, but uh, they struggle at times against the run. Uh, Chris Edwards takes a pen- 15-yard penalty every single week. Uh, the Eskimo guys on the Eskimo Empire podcast have talked about this. Going back to last season, this is now Chris Edwards, I think, seven games in a row. He's taken a 15-yard penalty. Um, you know, there's definitely discipline issues on that defense for the Eskimos that uh, I think they need to shore up a little bit here. I want to talk about the Argos, though, because we've talked a lot of Eskimos so far. Mm-hmm. What do you make of how they played this game in the second half of a home-and-home going into Edmonton? Is there an ability to... Make a big play when it counts um, to apply the pressure on a guy like Matt Riley. I don't want to be a coach on the sideline and criticize one of the best coaches in the CFL, Mark Trustman. I know your defense had a couple two and outs, a couple drives before, so I understand the rationale for punting. On the flip side, you have to account for Mike Riley going to turn and do Mike Riley things and take over the football game. Right. So, I don't agree with um, punting or punting the ball in that case and allowing Mike Riley to run out the clock. You're, talk, you're talking about late in the game there when yeah. they're down, right? They're down yeah. by one at that point? Yeah, and, and I think there was two and a half left in the game. Something like that conventional wisdom says so. But I just think at some point you have to take the ball out of Mike Riley's hands and take your chances on a third down. I agree with you. Because Mike Riley had done what he did last week way too much for other teams' lightings. SJ, SJ Green had been quiet to start the season so far this year. Uh, breakout game for him 
uh, seems to be James Franklin's favorite target so far. He doesn't have a lot of targets, I'd argue, at the wide receiver position. It seems to really be James Franklin and Armonte Edwards are kind of his two options. Levi Noel the week before looked like he might be a bit of a breakout guy, but he was held off the stat sheet this week. Um, SJ Green, 10 catches, 131 yards. Armonte Edwards, 2 for 46. I mean, how heavily do you think Toronto is going to be relying on SJ Green as they come into a home-and-home with the Bombers? Because Toronto really can't put the points up on the board, it seems. 15 this week, they put up 20 the week before. Uh, just seven in a week, two loss to Calgary, and then uh, I believe 19 in the first week against Saskatchewan. So they haven't put up more than 20 points. How many points have they given up? Um, Let me go back and... Yeah, I can look through that here for you. They gave up 27 to Saskatchewan uh, in week one, 41 to Calgary in week two, and then 17 and 16 against the Eskimos. So offensively, they need to start putting the points on the board. That would be my one concern going into the next two weeks. Is a bomber team that had a bit of a down game last week of only 17 points? I have to think the bombers will be somewhere in the mid 30s per points. Toronto's offense needs to wake up. They they need to. Toronto Toronto's offense has to find a way to get to 25 minimum. They they have to find a way to, you know, get some of these other guys going offensively. Uh, or, or find guys that can, because you can't just throw to S.J. Green all night long and, and put up, you know, that many. Well, granted, that's what Edmonton kind of does with Duke Williams, and that works. But uh, with S.J. Green is really your, you know, the guy they know they need to cover, and then your options are rather limited after that. That takes a lot of opportunities out of there for James Franklin. Uh, James Wilder was shut down in this game uh, in terms of the running game. 12 carries for just 26 yards. I mean, if you can't get Wilder going, that's that's going to cause some issues for the offense as well. What do you make of the way Toronto's defense has shaped up in the last two weeks? Because start of the season, before the season started, I thought I claimed on our season preview show Toronto would have the number one defense in the CFL this year. Week one and week two in, uh, against Saskatchewan and Calgary had me heavily questioning that. Are are they rounding into form, do you think? Absolutely. I think you looked at the last two games and they won one of the games. They could have won this one. Puffer missed a field goal that was way wide. Granted, it was in the driving rain. Toronto had chances to win this game, and I, I think... Quite honestly, much like a lot of other games, that if a certain team wins, we're not having a certain discussion about a certain team. Well, you know what I mean? Right. Two and two Toronto, the completely different discussion than one and three Toronto. And let's be frank, the next two games for Toronto, they need 25 points minimum offensively. Mike, moving on to our third game of the week, I tried to delay it long enough. Come on, uh, man. Five more minutes. No, yeah. Mom, please. Five more minutes. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this game. You know, the Bomber game was late on Saturday because it was in BC. It started at 9. I'll tell you what. I wish I would have gone to bed at halftime. I, I watch. I don't because that's a terrible thing to wake up to on a Sunday morning. <laughs> well, is it? It's an equally terrible thing to watch. Well, at least you can sleep on it in this case, though. Come I didn't on. sleep till 3.30 <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> so angry. 
Yeah, you know, I watched the game on a bit of a delay. Mike said, okay, text me when you're live or when you're done. Uh, it was a very brief conversation after that because I... I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to talk. I was too frustrated. I told him I was going straight to bed. Um, but no, the Bombers lose this one 20-17. BC comes back and wins. 17 nothing at halftime, Winnipeg leads. It's looking like another blowout just like the week before. Nothing's going right for BC. I mean, they get close to the end zone at the end of the first half and run out of time because they can't manage the clock, uh, and they're held pointless in the first half. It looks like at that point that it's that it's going to be another easy bomber to win here, but then things change in the second half. BC made the second half adjustments. Bombers didn't. Bombers became undisciplined in a wide variety. Isn't it amazing what happens when you put pressure on a quarterback? Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> it's um, a surprise. I'll say this. If the Bombers made two third and shorts, we're not having this conversation. Especially the first one. If Justin Medlock doesn't hit the upright, we're not having this conversation. He hit it twice. One went through, one didn't. He's a little post-happy. BC Place has been a house of horrors for the Bombers. It used to be Mosaic Stadium. Now I think it's gone further west. It's just unbelievable to me. And I'm going to go off on a rant here. 95-yard drive from deep in territory after a turnover. First off, how you don't hand the ball off to a drive that's got 130 or more rushing yards to get you a yard and a half. You would think that one would look, ah, third down and shorts have been a problem tonight. See the bomber stopping BC twice. One would suggest that maybe taking a field goal would be a better option. It's one of those things. It's like the trip plays. They work your hero. And we saw one again this week. Told you every time they play BC. That onside kick was a beautiful one, by the way. Beautiful. If you want to talk about 10 yards to the T, that's what it was. But that being said, and I was listening to Ryder Radio this week, and they were loving the fact that the Bombers blew a lead. But I couldn't help but wonder if Luke Mullender, who is a Ryder analyst on radio, had a good point. And to paraphrase, Bomber offense works well, they control the ball, they win the game. For sure. They didn't do that this week in the second Offense half. doesn't work well, so you exhibit second half, and you turn the ball over atrociously, there's no other word to put it, you lose the game. And the thing that bothered me the most was not necessarily all the third down gambles. Sure, those hurt when you leave points on the field. The hit upright doesn't bother me. What bothers me is one play before the last interception, which gave BC the ball to win them the game. First down near midfield, give or take the 40-45 yard line. So you're 20-25 yards away from field goal range. And you take a seven-yard sack on the first play of the drive. In the that was the game right there. 
in the first ever and likely the last ever installment of the Canadian Football Countdown Book Club, we take a look at a harrowing CFL adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, uh, called A Tale of Two Halves, which is what we saw this week, Mike. But it's just unbelievable how they went away from Andrew Harris. I mean, the entire this entire game shifted in the second half, and it started, like you mentioned, early in the second half. You know, BC, it, it, nothing was going right for them in the first half. I mean, that, that drive where they ran out of time was the icing on the cake, it seemed. Uh, Travis Lue making his first start back from a long, you know, time on the injured list. He was good. Early in the game, not so much, but in the second half, when he needed to be, he was. And it's it started with that goal line stand for BC in the second half because at that point if Bombers punched that in it's twenty four nothing not seventeen nothing. All of a sudden BC takes that it's a momentum shift. They made the second half adjustments. The Bombers got a little pissed off and mm -hmm. uh, seemed to want to take it out on Travis Lule unnecessarily because four major fouls for the Bombers in this Something game. Like that. I there was a him. horse collar. There were three roughing the passers. Granted, one of them I'm not so sure. I'm not sure on the call on Ian Wild. Right. But that being said, the other ones on the defensive linemen were certainly justified. Um, I just don't understand. The Bombers, to me, and I don't want to make this proclamation to be so early in the season, I just don't see how the Finns that ailed the Bombers last season, how they've been corrected. Yeah, the defense... So here, here's what happened basically in the second half here mm -hmm. from both sides of the thing. Bombers, uh, offensively, the, you know, credit to Paul Apolise for his play calling in the first, in last week's game against BC in the first half of the, the one this week. I mean, Paul Apolise can never get enough praise for what, you know, the game plan he comes up with for every week. But I don't know what happened in the second half because they went away from it, you know, not using Andrew Harris when he's already run for over 100 yards against the Lions. Not, you know, some of those play calls were certainly questionable, especially late in the game when they're trying to kill the clock. Matt Nichols is not making some smart decisions on some of those throws. Let, let's talk about this. This is his worst game, arguably, as Winnipeg Blue Bomber. He's, this is the most interceptions he's thrown in his time as a Bomber. I have something interesting. I'm just trying to find what I read earlier today. Uh, sure thing. Uh, but three interceptions, that's the most that Matt Nichols has thrown in a bomber uniform. And uh, granted, you know, maybe that drop pass by Nick, maybe Nick Dembski should have had that last one. There were definitely some of those throws he should have never made. Um, and they weren't accurate at all on some It's of those. one of those discussions, Ryan, where you make the big play, you make the first down, you make the big catch, you take away the interception. Your hero on the conversation completely changes. And it's just funny how on the defensive side of the ball, we like it truly is a tale of two halves because that you you told me this and I agreed with you that that first half performance by the Bombers defense may have been one of their best ones in the last 5 years. And all of a sudden in the second half, you know, they get undisciplined, uh, including two two major fouls on consecutive plays that gives BC basically 30 yards. Um, and they can't come up with a stop when they need to. And, you know, I, I th think that's something that resonates with Bomber fans is a serious problem that seems to be reoccurring. Here, and I'm going to read an ad script from Ed Tate's 
need to know from practice today. Matt, last season, Matt Nichols had three interceptions in the first two games and threw just one over the next six contests. Then he had three interceptions over a two-game span in late August, early September, before going on a run where he had just one mistake in his next eight games played. Well, hopefully that means some bounce back here from Matt Nichols as they go forward here. Let's talk about BC because we've talked. Can I just add one more thing? Sure. To the crowd that wants a quarterback change, let me talk to you for one, for one minute. What makes you suggest that Chris Traveler is a better option? Matt Nichols is the number one quarterback. His record as a starter speaks for itself. I believe that was his eighth or ninth loss as the Blue Bomber starter, and we're talking almost two and a half years now. There's a thing called a bounce back. This wasn't a playoff game. This wasn't a great top game. Matt Nichols is the sole reason why the Bombers have been as good as they have been. I don't think in his first game back last week he was particularly impressive. He managed the game that he week. He managed the game. This week he didn't. So now I'll ask you this question before we move on and Take- talk about the Lions side of the ball. You don't think quarterback controversy exists in Winnipeg? I tend to agree with you, but we can both acknowledge this was one of Matt Nichols' worst games in a bomber uniform. So here's the question for you. How many more consecutive performances like this week against BC does it take for you to make a quarterback change? A while. What's a while? Four, five, six games. And I'm not suggesting Matt Nichols is going to, I hope not, like, geez. Please, no. I, I just didn't see, and honestly looking back on it, I didn't see a full comfort level for me that would say Chris Traveler is ready to take the bomb and start a job long term. See exhibit difference between game two against Montreal. Particularly game three, I think his rookie status against Hamilton really kind of showed. So, just my two cents for bomber fans. Careful what you wish for. BC side of things, uh, Travis Lula in his first game back, what do you make of him? Very dead. Um, and I say very dead because he was very dead. Take out the first half, and anybody that missed as much time as Travis Lula has, there will be some rest. Uh, 28 of 41, 326 yards, a touchdown and interception for Mr. Lule. As much as this loss stings as a Bomber fan, you can't help but cheer for Travis Lule. He's one of the classiest guys in the CFL. Here's an idea. Instead of Bomber fans pouting about how they blew the game, let's give some credit to BC for coming back and pitching themselves up off the ground and saving their season. For sure, and they made the adjustments. And those third down stops on Chris Trevler were huge because in the first, what, four games of the season, nobody seemed to... We, we talked just the last time on the podcast about... You know, or I guess, no, we, well, nobody heard that last week because our, of our technical difficulties, mm-hmm. but we did talk about the use of Stravler as a backup uh, in short yardage. In I, I thought it was good. BC, which was incredible. BC shut him down twice this week. Um, that really turned the momentum in their favor. I'm just surprised they only used Stravler so limited this past week. I suggested to the person I was watching the game with at my house. Maybe they should have used Strebler in for a driver to just to give BC a different look, not to bench Matt Nichols. Well, credit to BC's defense, though, for shutting it down, right? right. Um, they, I mean, they shut the Bombers out in the second half. 
This seems to be an offense that is putting up the most points in the league. I I, I just have a real concern with last week the defense had a chance to win the mid game. For BC? No, for Winnipeg. And all could basically be forgotten if, you know, they made the stop on a couple of those touchdown drives. But Travis Lue had that offense on a roll in the second half. And credit credit him for Absolutely. You, you know, find it finally finding some of their big name guys because well, it doesn't jump out highly, you know, huge numbers on the stat sheet. Brian Burnham three catches for seventy one. Uh, Chris Rainey, six catches for 71. Arsenault, seven for 63. Shaq Johnson got a touchdown, Mike. It happened to be the game-winning touchdown, a 51-yarder there. And uh, Rainey had 10 carries for 43 on the ground as well. So Because Jeremiah Johnson went out early right. in the game. And you have the... to wonder if that's what hurt them offensively early on in the game because he seemed to be one of the only guys that could get something going last week against Bombers. Quiz question for you. Or not quiz question, but Jess is probably going to start this week at running back. Brandon Rutley. Not much of a drop-off, in my opinion. No. I think Rutley's always been looked at as a backup quarter or a backup running back due to being behind Terrell Sutton. But I think he's certainly a talented guy, and I think Chris Rainey will mix in there again as well. Chris Rainey? Um, good grief. He's a guy you hate to defend, but you love when he's on your team. There's every single time that I touch the ball, he's a threat to do something. Don't change, Chris Rainey, please. <laughs> Players like you are fun to watch. They, he, they are. Chris Rainey is a really fun guy to watch, and I hope we continue to see him getting more involved in that offense. I don't want that to come as a product of, you know, an injury like Jeremiah Johnson. Um, but, we, yeah, go ahead. You know, I, I'd like to see Chris Rainey get more involved in that offense because his speed alone is going to open things up for you. Can we have a real quick discussion? I know we might be short on time, so we'll leave this maybe for next week after we see what happened this week. But does it concern you that there seems to be no succession plan at quarterback for BC? Well, I don't know if you can say there's no succession plan. I mean, it looks they've gone away from Jonathan Jennings for now, but I don't think you've entirely given up on the guy. Well, no disrespect. I mean, one big play, one wrong play, one body part that bends the runway, you know, and you're back to what you had before. And I don't know, it's just a concern, but I hope BC finds a way to address. And I think, and this is just me, I know Travis Dooley was healthy. I know you got to try to win games. Something suggests they aren't thinking Jonathan Jennings will be the guy long-term there. Just to wrap up week five in the CFL, mm. our players of the week, offensive, defensive, and special team side of the ball. Let's start offensively. Who do you give the game ball to? Well, the diver won the game for Edmonton single-handedly on the last drive. Mike Riley. Yeah, Mike Riley had himself a very solid performance. When it week. mattered... Mike Riley showed why he won the MOP last year. Absolutely. I'll give it to Duke Williams. Nobody's stopped him yet. Uh, nine catches, 123 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, props to him. No pun intended for his touchdown celebration because, of course, he gets flagged for that. Just a quick thing about that. Edmonton fans salty on Twitter about the penalty call. 
It says in the rule book you may not use any props. For your touchdown celebration. I know, Mike, but it was, he had the towel on him. The letter of the law says that a prop is defined as anything, but it's not the ball. Yeah, yeah. So by the letter of the law, it's a penalty. Do I agree with it? No. But by the letter of the law, it's a penalty. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I know. I know. I, I don't think it should be, but I, I agree with you. It is, it is in the rule book. Uh, defensive side of the ball, who do you give the game ball? Who do you give your player of the week to, Mike? Well, people are going to scold me for saying this, but I'm going out of bait hill. Why? He was the only guy on that defense in the second half that seemingly wanted to win the game. Yeah, seemed like he was almost in on every single play this week. He is fun to watch. So fun. He gets from one end of the play, so he lined up on the left side, and nothing, you know, he's making tackle on the other side of the formation. I'm going to take a page out of the Michael Bear, Michael Garrell uh, book of breaking the rules when it comes to picking a player of the game. A pick two? Um, pick 12 and maybe a couple substitutions along the way because, well, how can you pick one guy over the other on the Calgary defense? Like, this Calgary defense is the best defense in the CFL, and they held Ottawa to three points. So what's interesting is Calgary's defense is not all about Alex Singleton. No. No, it's about everyone on that defense, and everyone's coming to play. That's why everyone on Calgary's defense is my defensive player of the week. So maybe an underrated move this year with Devon Claybrook staying in Calgary? Absolutely. After being rumored for the Montreal job and basically negotiating for the Montreal job is what's been reported? Yeah, and, and I imagine, you know, how much longer... If, you know, BC, I think he's gone after this. BC's going to need a head coach next year. Maybe Devon Claybrooks gets called there. But uh, that, I'm hoping that, so, but I want to see Paul Apolus in Winnipeg. Absolutely. Uh, and your special teams player of the week, Mike. Where are you going with that one? Uh, Not too many outstanding special teams performances. I've got one here for you. Okay. Romar Morris of the Calgary Stampeders. Terry Williams out with injury this week. Romar Morris comes in, uh, had himself a pretty fine game here. Nine punt returns for 104 yards. That's that's not too bad there. And he also pitched in uh, nine carries for 17 yards and a touchdown. So I'll give it to Romar Morris. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to think on the spot here. But did I can't. You know, pin down one performance uh, over the other. Nobody had a monster game. Maybe it's Chris Rainey. Would you give it to Chris Rainey again? Again, he... Okay, I'm going to go this way because this guy never gets any respect because he's constantly stopped by penalty plays. Kevin Ford. Or can we give it to Justin Medlock for the fake, uh, for that onside kick? Or Mike Miller for diving an inch over the 10-yard line and catching that? Maybe we I don't know. Um, but we are running out of time here, Mike. Quick, uh, we've in 30 seconds or less, Terrell Owens gives the Eskimos 10 days to offer him a contract because he's on their negotiation list. Will we see Terrell Owens in the CFL? Yes, but not with the Eskimos. With who? Montreal. I don't, yeah. If he comes to CFL, I can't see it being Edmonton. They have too much talent at wide receiver already. Uh, oh, how fun would it be to see T.O. in the CFL, though? Can I just say something, though? Edmonton doesn't put him on their negotiation list if they're not interested in him. Right. He doesn't. 
in both the 10 day window if he's not interested in coming to CFL. So something ONG going on there. Maybe you should get your popcorn ready. Uh, other quick news, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit more on the preview show this week, Solomon Elamimian on the six-game injured list, and Dylan Wynn suspended one game for his hit on C.J. Gable. We'll talk about those on the preview show this week. Stay tuned for that. that Another be- thing, update on Bully by Mitchell, questionable to play this week. Right. So stay tuned for more on all of that on our preview show, which will be coming out uh, either late Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning, uh, sometime after this one. Uh, you can find all of our content online on our website, mikefmwinnipeg.com slash the Canadian Football Countdown. That last part all hyphenated. Uh, blog posts, podcasts, and that. You can find Mike's power rankings there. When can we expect to see those this week, Mike? Five Thursday morning, lightly late tonight, tomorrow sometime. Wonderful, wonderful. Looking forward to those every week. Uh, find the podcast on all of the great podcast platforms, uh, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn. If you want another one, just request it. We'll try to get on there. Follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening to our Week 5 recap. and We'll talk to you again in our Week 6 preview. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Bye.